0: We were just praying a minute ago about us being like Jesus, and one of my questions today is, do you really want to be like Jesus? And Do you really want to be like Jesus? I I think it's a prayer that, in one sense, Jonah could have prayed. I mean, he's before Jesus, but, Lord, I I really want to be your prophet. Lord, I'm, I'm your prophet. Okay? Um... In fact, there's a slide, Isaiah 14 slide. I think it's, I can't remember which one it is. It's probably about slide number five from what I gave you earlier, that one. Um, Jonah was a a great theologian, okay? Um, In the 15th year of As, this is the other place we read about Jonah, okay? Son of Joshua, king of Jeroboam, son of Joshua, all these names, I love these guys, becomes king of Syria, becomes king of the northern kingdom, of Israel, okay, um, and he reigned forty one years he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam which caused Israel to commit. He was one he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel in accordance with the word of God of Israel, spoken by his servant Jonah. Jonah went to the king and basically said, "You know what? God has a plan for Israel, and he wants Israel to expand." And Israel, during Jonah's time, became very rich and was kind of at the height of its kingdom. And Jonah foretold it all. Okay. There was another kingdom at the time. A kingdom that was beginning to grow in its power. A kingdom that was known for its brutality. Um, known for it's cruelty, it's evil. It was the Assyrian kingdom. And if there were two kingdoms that were competing with one another at the time, in a sense, it was the kingdom of Assyria and Israel. The, Is- the Assyrians were not the people that you wanted to hang around. There was nothing good that you could say about them. And God came to Jonah and said, Jonah, I want you to go to the Assyrians and tell them if they don't change their ways within 40 days, I'm going to destroy them. And you know what what Jonah did. He went down to a boat and he bought a ticket in the complete opposite direction. I think I have a... Give me one of the the slides for those maps. Um, I don't know which one. No, not that one. not that one. One more. There's one other one. That one. Okay. Um, So um, you can basically see um, this becomes the Assyrian um, Empire. Okay. Eventually, they're going to take over... um, you know, kind of the whole area of what uh, we would today call, call the Middle East, okay? Um, let's go to that one of all the different Middle Eastern places in it. Go back one, two. Uh, we can stay there anyway. You know, Jonah, okay, he's supposed to go to Nineveh. Instead, he goes the complete opposite direction over to Spain. That's where he's headed, okay? You want me to go to Nineveh? I like this 40-day plan. I can biblically tell you where this 40-day plan fits too because there are sinful people and they deserve your punishment, Lord. I'm going to Tarsus. I'm going the opposite direction. You know the story. He gets on a ship and there's a storm. And we'll come back to this, but he gets thrown into the sea, and he gets swallowed up by a whale. And the whale is so happy to have Jonah in his belly that he vomits him all over the seashore. I got to get rid of you. I don't want to have you in my stomach. I mean, it's just souring my stomach. The story is meant to be laughable. We are meant to laugh at Jonah. The prophet of God who speaks the word of God, who rather than listening to the very word that he knows, runs in the opposite direction. The God who the whale doesn't even want in his stomach. The guy that. He's a laughable character. Sits under a stupid little tree, gets mad. We're meant to laugh. But Jonah actually stands for the whole nation of Israel. Jonah actually stands for all of us. Um, It's fascinating in in, in reading this, in studying for this. um, Tim Keller did a series on Jonah. In God's providence... Tim Keller started that series on September 9th, 2001, two days before 9-11. Jonah, or Tim Keller, starts a series in New York on the prophet of Jonah, the book of Jonah. Okay. Tim Keller basically says there are three types of people in this world. There are irreligious people people who want nothing to do with God. They don't need God. And then he said, there's another group. They're called the religious group. They're the ones who basically do all of these religious practices who know their theology, who can quote Bible verses up one side and down the other. But, Keller says, their religion is really all about a way to get God, to manipulate God, to do what they want God to do for them. They are on the throne of their lives. Jonah was a prophet. He was very religious. But he didn't trust in God. He didn't live out of his relationship with God. He didn't enter in to what God was doing. Instead, he basically said, you know what, God? I don't like what you're doing. I'm going to go the opposite way. Keller says there's a third group, and that's the Christians. That's the group that recognizes that their only hope is in God. That's a group that recognizes the God who loves them, the God who is over the details of life, every detail, the detail of storms and fish, okay? You know, one of the fascinating details about this story is that right before Jonah shows up in Nineveh, They'd gone through two plagues and a solar eclipse. Now, for us, solar eclipses are not big deals. That's because we're kind of scientific. But if you're kind of a polytheistic country that worships the gods of heavens and the stars and everything else, when you see a solar eclipse, you're going, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on? These people are nervous. Their world is breaking apart. See, God has gone before Jonah to prepare the way for his message to them. God is in the details of the story and the details of life. And Christians recognize that and and they're willing to put God on the center of their lives and live out of their relationship with God and live out of the fact that they can't save themselves ever, that the only person who can ever save them is God. And they're going to trust God's way of saving them. This last week, um, we had a speaker from Iran with us. Um, She went and just talked to the high school students. Um, And actually, the high school students, and and she had somebody who was with her also, Nick. He's actually a Texan, um, but he kind of works with their organization and and does a lot of traveling with them. And and Nick, there, there are two stories that stood out last week for me. Okay, um, which i throw out to you. One is when she was talking to the high school students. she told all of them about life in Iran and, and the persecution that's going on in Iran. And then we took questions from the kids, and one of the kids raised her hand and said, well, if it's so bad, why don't they just leave Iran? Okay. And I love Shadi's answer. It was because they want others to know about Jesus. they're willing to be persecuted to be like Jesus to go to Nineveh because they want others to know Jesus. Personally, I'd be on the first ship out. Do I really want to be like Jesus? See. Do I really trust that God is in the details? Do I really trust that God has a plan for this world, a purpose, and that every event that occurs, he is using towards his glorious purposes, his end, his kingdom coming, and am I willing to live for that kingdom, or am I living for myself and the kingdom I want to create? There's another story that got told us last week, and it was by Nick. He talked about the fact that he was with some, actually, um, Christians from India um, whose husband had be- moved from being a Muslim into being a Christian in, in the nation of Israel, and that's not popular these days. Persecution is alive and well in India And this man was arrested. And his wife and his daughter cried tears of joy. Because he was arrested. Because they knew that when others had been arrested and persecuted there was a great harvest that came about. And they cried tears of joy for the harvest that would come about because of that arrest. Do I really want to be like Jesus? Um, You read, you started this, this whole week reading the story of the lost sheep And and I told Caitlin this morning, I, I really love what she did, but the lost sheep, she started halfway through the story. We read about the lost sheep this morning, or this week. We started with the parable. There was a man who had 100 sheep, but one of them went missing, and he goes looking for the 99. Luke 15 tells three parables a story about a lost sheep, about a lost coin, about a lost son. Actually, two lost sons one who was religious and one who was irreligious, but two lost sons. But the problem about Luke 15 is it's not about the sheep, it's not about the coin, it's not about the lost sons. Luke 15 is about the Pharisees. See? See, so what had happened during Jesus' day was that Rome occupied Israel. Israel had no freedom. The Roman government could do whatever they wanted. You saw a soldier come along and said, here, carry my bag for a mile. And you had to carry it for a mile. You had no choice. You had to get arrested. Whatever they said, you did. You didn't question. You didn't talk back. They were an occupied country. And when Rome walked in, there were four groups of people. Four that kind of Decided how to respond to the Roman government. One were the Essenes. Okay. The Essians basically left town. They went into the desert. Hidden caves. They were a very conservative religious prayer for a group. It's kind of like they said, I'm not going to be around them. I'm going to go out and live in my monastery. And have my quiet little life. And then there were the Zealots. They decided we're going to organize and overthrow Rome. And then there were the Sadducees. They said, you know, the best way to live in this situation is to get up close to these guys and do whatever we can to kind of change things from within. And the fourth group were the Pharisees. And the Pharisees said, we are going to be as religious as possible. We're not going to disobey any of the Ten Commandments. And if we don't disobey, then God will show up and act. And then there was Jesus. And Jesus shows up. And he says, now, this is how you respond in this situation. And he got up close to the people who were hurting, who were powerless, who were disenfranchised, the people who weren't doing life well or right, whether they be a tax collector or a prostitute, or a leper. And the Pharisees said, you're with them? And God said, my plan for changing this world is not to overthrow Rome. My plan for changing this world is to get up close to people and to be with people. and to show them and demonstrate to them the love and the grace of God. Jesus goes to a cross and everybody goes, see, it doesn't work. Oh yeah? Jesus allowed the Romans to put him on that cross. And in doing so, what he was showing was his trust in God's plans over everybody else's plans. And his trust in God's power over everybody else's power. And what God was doing over against what everybody else was doing. And God raised him up. And the disciples so got it that they looked at Jesus and said, Great, now are you going to overthrow Rome? He said, no, I want you to go live like I lived. I want you to go give your life for those people who are hurting and disenfranchised and don't know me. I want you to go to Nineveh. And one of the questions gets to be, who's your Nineveh? Who is God calling you to? Um, Let's go to the very first slide. Change this up for a minute. Um, Glenna Kirk has a brand new mission statement. Um, We're called to be a worshiping community. Um, And the first couple chapters of this year, we were dealing with being a worshiping community um, that invites everyone to join in the journey of becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus um, it's a journey. We don't just overnight become fully devoted followers of Jesus. This is not a Discipleship 101 course. In fact, last week in, in Dallas, people didn't so much talk about discipleship. They talked about transformation. They talked about what is your next flourishing next step into becoming like Jesus and to be in, in living the way Jesus lived. It is really easy to be like Jonah and to know the theology. It is another thing to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, to make space in our lives for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, changing us, softening our hearts, understanding God's grace so we can extend it to others. So we're on a Journey of becoming like Jesus for the purpose of inviting other people to journey alongside of us, and so we've done this worship piece, we've done this becoming piece. Now we're in this invite piece for the next couple weeks, and then we'll finally get onto this piece about loving, loving the world at the at the end. Okay, um, we've kind of set out this statement and said this is what we're all about. But one of the things that la- last week I had to go to Dallas. That video. One of the things that happened last week is we listened to a group um, that was maybe just a little bit, we have the new mission statement, now we're working on what that looks like, okay, and I was at a meeting last night and we spent time beginning to take a look at what all that looks like specifically, Um, but when we were in, when I was in Dallas last week, we listened to a church that is kind of a little bit ahead of us because they've already decided what it all looks like, okay? Um, This is their kind of new vision that they put out to their church, This is For Park. 90 years, we have seen God. Here, let's go to slide two. Here goes. Um, it is really easy to say, yeah, let's do that. And, and we're going to put stuff on our four keywords like that. That's all common. But it's also really easy to say, well, that's the staff's job to do. Those things, 100% of people growing... Are we all growing to become more like Jesus? Or am I picking and choosing how I want to grow? Am I willing to go to that person who I don't have time for, who isn't quite like me, who maybe has offended me, and be with them and figure out what needs they have and meet those needs and love on them the way Jesus did for us sacrificially so that they can come to know Jesus so that I can earn the right to tell them the story of Jesus so that I can say I'm doing this because this is what Jesus did for me am I in prayer? Those million hours aren't going to happen because the staff prays. It happens because everybody in the church is on their knees praying and seeking God. The church is not something we do. The church is not a building. It's not a location. The church is the people who claim that Jesus is their Savior and their Lord and that they want to be his hands and feet, his body in the world. The church isn't what we do on Sunday morning, what we do on Wednesday morning. The church is what we do with every minute of our lives in every circumstance that we find ourselves where we are saying, Jesus, I want to be your presence in this situation. You see, God doesn't have a mission for his church. He doesn't have a purpose for his church. God has a purpose, and he has a church to fulfill his purpose. God is doing something in this world, but we want to be like Jonah. You see, this wasn't new to Jonah, this idea of going to the Ninevites. When God called Abraham, what did he say? Abraham, I want you to go. Believe it or not, he told them to leave Ur, which is basically Assyria. Okay, I want you to go to Israel so I can bless you so that then you can then go out and be a blessing to other people. But what happened with Israel? Oh, look, God's blessing us. Let's enjoy our blessings. Let's expand our borders. And God's going, no. I let you expand your borders so that you could give to other people. Oh, no, we like our expanded borders. No. I have blessed you that you might go, that you might be a blessing to other people. Let's go to the next slide. Um, Just for the heck of it, you know, a couple comments about this book called Jonah. Um, Everybody has a difficult time with it. Um, Is it a myth? Is it an allegory? Is it a parable? Is it history? You know, nobody really knows. It's written in the form of a narrative. Nobody knows who it's written to, okay, or the exact date, or even if Jonah himself wrote it, it, it's about Jonah, but did Jonah write it? Okay, don't know that. We don't know any of that. But it is in the form of a very tightly put together narrative, where in a sense chapters 1 and 2, parallel chapters 3, and four. And you can kind of put them up next to each other and begin to understand what's going on in the book by looking at at them. Like, you know, you have this disobedient prophet versus the faith of the semen. I mean, that's really a, a real fun one, right? The seamen have more faith than Jonah does. You know, Jonah's going, yeah, I'm a prophet of the God over all of creation, the God who created the sea and even sent the storm, you know, and the seamen are going, well, then tell us what God wants us to do. Jonah's going, I don't want to Do what God's doing. That's why I'm running in the opposite direction. They're going, well, we want to do what God wants you to do, you know? One of the fascinating things as you go down through the book of Jonah, when were the seamen really afraid? If you notice, one of the things that happens, they throw Jonah in the sea, and then there's this nice little verse that says, and the seamen were really afraid, and they worshiped and offered sacrifices to God. Why? Because the sea all of a sudden went quiet. There was this sacrifice of Jonah's life, like Jesus dying on a cross and the storm subsides and the seamen go, ooh, wow, that God must really be God. It kind of parallels another story in the New Testament where Jesus is out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and the wind is blowing and Jesus is back in the back sleeping and the disciples come and wake him up and say, we're going to die. And Jesus kind of goes, storm, be quiet. And it gets quiet and it says all of a sudden the disciples, they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Because they realized how big and powerful God was. It's not a fear afraid. It's an awe afraid. It's a, wow, this is who God is? If this is who God is, then I'm going to trust myself to him. And see, you know, since that's what happens to Jonah, he gets into the whale and he gets spit out and he begins to kind of go, whoa, this is what God is like. maybe I need to trust him a little bit more. And he goes to Nineveh. Um, We see God's gracious extension of mercy to Gentile nations, God's sovereignty over all of life. God is sovereign over all of the elements and all the circumstances of life. Tim Keller says that God uses storms to reveal what's in our lives, that God is in the details of life. Do you really believe that God is in the details of your life? In in Tim Keller's sermons after 9-11, when he's talking about Jonah, he he starts using these illustrations, kind of saying, you know, what are we praying for? He goes, you know, I want to pray that we go back to the world the way it used to be. But he said, you know, there's two types of prayers. You can either, as your ship's about ready to hit the rocks, you can either pray that God keeps you off the rocks, or you can pray that the water level rises up. See, sometimes I want to tell God how to run things. See, I know I'm going to be an Essene or I'm going to be a Zealot or I'm going to be a Pharisee and God's going, "No, I have a different way of doing things. Will you learn to do it my way? Will you learn to not just walk one mile for the Roman soldier, but walk two miles for the Roman soldier? Will you, instead of asking for justice in a situation, be the one who pays the price for justice? That's what Jesus did on the cross. Okay. That, that's just huge. I can only do that when I myself have begun to experience the greatness and the grace of God. You know, one of the things that's fun in this book is tell me something that Jonah does right in Jonah's power. Okay, he went through Nineveh, maybe that. But then you got the tree bit afterwards, so. What's Jonah do right? He runs the opposite direction. He says, throw me in the sea, let me die. You know, that'll help. At least I won't be going to Nineveh if I die. Jonah doesn't do anything right. But God, God continues to pursue him. See? Continues to extend grace to him. Continues to bring him up and transform him. See? That's God's grace. Not that I do it right. Right? Jesus has already done that, but I learned to live through his Holy Spirit, his way. Um, let's go to the, um, one of, one of the things that's, let's go to the, yeah, one of the, one of the things that's interesting about this book, everybody talks about the, the, the whale, um, was there a whale? Wasn't there a whale? Um, some people have accounts of being swallowed by whales. Um, here's one of the things that, that hit me this morning, and I did not read this anyway. It just kind of hit me as I was driving to work today. Um, you know, there are a couple of accounts of resurrections in Scripture. You got Lazarus, okay? You got Elijah praying over, no, Elijah praying over the the boy who's you know dies. I mean, there are accounts through Scripture of resurrections, okay? Um, this three days in a well with Jonah, I mean, there is a whole sense that what you have going on here is Jonah dying and being resurrected because that's what happens with Jesus. He dies, he's in the tomb for three days and he comes back and resurrection. You know, there's a point to where I don't know when he lived in the whale or not, but by the time he gets out, man, he's resurrected. Okay, type, type of stuff. Um, but we can get wrapped up in the details of the story and miss the overriding point of whether or not I'm willing to trust God in his plan and his ways and become a, a part of it. Um, let's go to the next slide. One of the things that's interesting about this, that you have, um, the book is written sometime between 782 and 753. This all goes backwards. I hate BC. I can never, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, eventually, the northern kingdom where Jonah, where, where Jonah is from falls to Assyria. I mean, these these people don't like the Assyrians, and rightly so. Because they're going to eventually take over their empire. They're eventually going to fall to the Assyrian empire. Okay? And yet God still sends them. We'll talk about that next week a little bit more. Um, In 612, Assyria falls. It's like God waits 40 40 days. They change, so he waits for another year and a half before that nation finally falls. But here's the good thing is because of Jonah going and preaching and them kind of repenting for a while, they're not as cruel anymore. Their lives are changed. Let's go to the next slide for a minute. Um, Keep going. Next one. Oh, one of the things that are interesting that goes that on this one, everything in chapter one, you keep hearing Jonah went down and he went down and he went down. It doesn't always show in the English as much as it does in the original language, but there's it's kind of the spiral downward in Jonah's life. Okay? He goes down to the boat, you know, he goes down to fall asleep, he goes down into the ocean. Um little compromises when we don't listen to God, we start going down. Okay? And that eventually leads to death, and that 's where Jesus comes in and says no there's a different, there's a different way um, let 's go on go next one key verse, whole Bible found in Jonah salvations in the Lord everything that we 're seeking is in Jesus." The storms show us what we're really seeking. Jonah wants to be a well-known prophet. One of the people that I listened to talked about, um, used the illustration. I wonder what it would be like to be Jonah's father at Christmas time, Sending out a letter to everybody. Hey, everybody, guess what? My son's the prophet. He's advising the king. Look what's happening to Israel. This is great. Next Christmas. Uh, Hey, guys. uh, Let me tell you about my son. Maybe not. Let's go on to something else. You know, um... Verse 9, key verse, salvation is not in being a prophet. It's not in being religious. It's not in having my life together. It's not in the things of this world. Salvation is in the Lord alone. Jonah was afraid to go to Nineveh because they probably would kill him. It was a reasonable fear. He was also afraid to go to Nineveh because he didn't particularly want the Ninevites to change because he didn't like the Ninevites. Okay. But when he comes to know the grace of God, those fears get replaced by humility and love. It's still a process. He still grows. Okay. Our fears shows us, show us what we're trusting in when we learn of the love of God and trust in God, there is no fear because love casts out that fear. Let's go on to the next one. Um, here goes. There's about three slides here that I want you to take a look at when you get home. There's slides about what it means to be people who invite other people, how we begin to do that. Um, first off, um, we basically are um, calling Okay? Our calling is to be like Jonah. In case you don't know that, read Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Go, get out of your comfort zones, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even into the ends of the earth. Go, go out, go tell others, get up close to people, Okay? Help them become more like Jesus. But in order to do that, we need to make space for the spirit. We need to see things from God's perspective rather than our perspectives. We need to basically be warned. We need to be in an accountable community. We're talking today in leaders group that sometimes we kind of sit back and say, Lord, how do I know what you want me to do? Sometimes it's because I'm waiting for God to write on the walls, and God's basically saying, I'm really talking in a in a gentle whisper. I'm talking in nudges. okay. And, and we talked about how the fact that, that really, if I want to know what God wants me to do in my life, one of the best things to do is to take a look right now and just kind of pause and say, Jesus, was there something you wanted me to do yesterday that I missed? And all of a sudden, Caitlin comes to mind. And you remember, yeah, I was going to call Caitlin, but I didn't do it. When I'm in community, people can help me ask those questions, those reflective questions that help me hear what God is saying. And then they can help me. So did you call Caitlin today? Oh, no, I put it off. Oh, going to be like Jonah. Yes. Okay. Um, We're called to go. Um, We are called to love intentionally. We're called to ask God, God, today, who do you want me to extend grace to? Who do you want me to love on? You, you pray that, and God's going to put somebody in front of you. It's going to be very hard, but he'll answer that prayer, okay? Um, let's go to the next one. We're called to model godly character to basically do good things for other people wherever we can possibly do, and to do everything as if we're doing it to God and not for somebody else, okay? Um, we're called to minister in grace and love. Um, we're called to model godly culture, basically, we need to take a look at how we talk. Are we speaking with grace and love and with confidence in God or out of fear and hatred ourselves? Um, We need to be a mouthpiece for truth. We need to be messengers of the gospel. Let's go to the next one. Um, But here's the other dynamic. We're called to be like Jesus. What Jesus did is he got is that he's for us. Um, Actually, go to the slide with the pictures of the people. Picture God. Okay? He reigns. He's smiling. He's for us. But that's not good enough to be heaven and for us because we basically didn't want to pay attention to him. So what he does is he comes to be with us because we're not happy because we do things wrong. Okay? Um, He becomes one of us us he dies for us to give us new life so we can smile but then he gives us the spirit to reign in us so we can be like him so we also can take his reign and his rule through our prayers and our loving others to other people God is with us He's for us, and he's with us, and he's one of us, and he's in us. And if you want to know how to share the gospel with somebody, draw four pictures. Let me show you one other way to share show the, show the gospel. Good, next one. And, uh, you're called to love intentionally. Yep, go next one. I have oh, cute, too. Oh, is that the? um Where's the one on... Um, I'm going to do one other one. Um, slide 13. Um If you want to tell people about God, tell them that God created the world good. But we basically decided that we wanted to do things our way rather than listen to God. And as a result, people became selfish and grasped and held on. And when that happens, evil grows. But God had a plan. He called a people to be a blessing to other people. But unfortunately, they didn't listen, and so God went one step further. He sent his son. said, I will do what you cannot do for yourselves. You can't save yourselves, so I will save you. And he died on a cross that we could hit the restart button. And he gave us his Holy Spirit for those of us who are willing to receive the grace of Jesus and the power of Jesus within us, and to live as Jesus did, we have his spirit. And we are in the midst of the book of Acts. It's the one book that's not finished. God is building his kingdom. He's restoring the world. And we're called to be a part of it. And the question is, do you want to join in that program? God is doing something in this world. And he trusts us. To partner with him in doing it. Will we get up close? Let's go um, one slide before that. Four questions if you get up close to people. Can I pray for you? Can I serve you? Can I share my story? Can I share God's story? Folks, We're all Jonas. We all have second chances and third chances and fourth chances. And God constantly comes to us and pursues us and comes after us. Because God is doing something in this world that he's invited us to be a part of. If we're willing to be like Jesus. But that's a big question. It's not about getting it right. It's about being transformed and more and more becoming like Him. It's not doing it right or getting it right, but being open, being intentional, loving the people that God puts in front of us, getting out of our comfort zones so that God's kingdom comes so that others know him. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us. We're like Jonah. We want it our way. We want it about us. God, you're working. You're not done yet. And you've called us into that work. And as long as today is today and we are breath, you have something for us to do. Somebody to love on, somebody to give to, somebody to pray for. Lord, may we not just be theologically correct, but may we be like you. To your praise and glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good morning. Have a good lunch.